You know, jumping on a podcast by yourself after a busy day is like the weirdest contextual just it's such a weird thing because your mind is going so many different places but the thought process came through my head today I was like man I haven't made a Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse video nor have I done a Spider-Man ranking and I think these two would just go perfectly together today especially with the week that Spider-Man has had um, absolutely massive massive week at the box office a lot of conversation around the visual elements, of course, the story, and maybe the future and what we have in store. And so I figured that this would be perfect to jump on myself and kind of delve into it. So before we do that, um, I do want to just give a very heartfelt welcome to anybody listening for the first time. I imagine this is most people because there aren't too many episodes available quite yet. But yes, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to talk about some movies today because this is the passion. Um, this is the ultimate passion, and I should say maybe obsession. So the way that this works is we share news, and I've mentioned this before, but I feel like I'll just continue mentioning it again. Um, so this podcast, After Credits, is, is paired up with Film Update Time, which is the profile that I use on social media, so on TikTok and Instagram, to talk about movies, to talk about movie updates. Um, I, I kind of, I always wear a beanie when I make those videos, uh, but really to talk about movie updates, to review movies, to do rankings, and I had a previous podcast without a mic, and that podcast was incredible. It still is incredible. Definitely check them out. Brittany and Roger are awesome. They're fun to have movie conversations with. And I just needed to delve into something something myself, something I could spend a lot of my independent time on whenever I do have free time, and I always want to talk about movies. So this was my outlet. But with After Credits, I like to always share a bit of movie news from that day of recording. So... The movie news that I'm going to share today is um, there's a news bit that came out with Chris Hemsworth, I guess. So it was an interview where Chris Hemsworth admits that Thor 4, which is Thor Love and Thunder, uh, was too silly. So kind of delving into it. By the way, um, Thor Love and Thunder made $760 million worldwide. So though, you know, I think there was kind of a little bit of disappointment. You know, it's a Taika Waititi film with... Christian Bale as a very sinister looking villain with a decent purpose. All of that just felt short. All of that felt rushed. All of that felt cut. It was almost just kind of a, maybe a shortcut, maybe a quick, hey, I got to do this. I got to check it off the list. It's an obligation. But um, I, I respect Chris Hemsworth for kind of seeing it for what it is. And so the interview was with GQ and he said, quote, I think we just had too much fun. It just became too silly. It's always hard being in the center of it and having any real perspective, but I love the process. It's always a ride, but you just don't know how people are going to respond. So <laughs> he actually goes on to say that his children were the ones uh, critiquing his film. Uh, let's see. Oh, it's one of his his son's friends. That's what it was, uh, critiquing his film. He says, we thought we had this one... We thought this one had too much humor. The action was cool, but the VFX weren't as good. I cringe and laugh equally at it. So kind of an interesting thing. I want to know for anybody who did thoroughly enjoy it, I'm not going to be closed off to your opinion. I actually just want to know what drew you to it. Was there an entertaining factor that was available? Uh, did you like the comedic elements? Did, did you think it was really funny? I just, I wish I saw a little bit more out of gore. I wish I saw a little bit more storytelling. I heard some rumors, don't know the validity behind them, 
But I heard rumors that Taika Waititi was was cut short 30 minutes total of, of the product that he actually made. So he really had to kind of compile a story that he didn't fully anticipate compiling. So that might be added to it. But who knows? So Thor Love and Thunder... We're kind of on the superhero train, right? So we're, we're, we're jumping from Marvel over to Sony, which is also Marvel, which is just kind of an interesting... Um, that's an interesting discussion in the first place, how the whole Sony, Marvel, Spider-Man like ownership takes place. I don't know if anybody's really delved into that conversation and how one should just... Either he should be... These characters should be you know, freely available to make or they shouldn't. And there should be a conversation. I don't know. The Spider-Man thing definitely trips me up. I'm not fully sure about that. But let's go into Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This is a sequel to the highly acclaimed Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which ended up winning Best Animated Picture, I believe, uh, for the first year that, or for the year that it came out. Let me just double check real quick. So Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out in 2018. It's rated 8.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Um an incredibly high rating for any film on IMDb, let alone an animated film. And that might be higher than Spirited Away, but I'm not sure. So it was nominated once for, it had one Oscar nomination and it won the Oscar nomination. And that was for best animated feature film. What's crazy though, about the first film and the second film is they have a completely different directing team. So the first film was directed by Bob Perchetti. I probably said that wrong. Peter Ramsey and Rodney Rotham. Whereas the second film is directed by here, let me pull this up. So it's directed by uh, Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. Like completely different. Now the writers remain the same, but at the same point, if that is so hard to do if you're going to transition from something as you know connected and something as cohesive as a story. Um, that maybe was built to be a trilogy or maybe it was built to be an individual film. But Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is arguably going to be the biggest animated film of the year. Um, I, I, I don't even know if that's an argument because I'm trying to think of any other big, big animated films coming out. I know Elemental is about to come out. Um, it premiered at Cannes Film Festival. Not entirely sure how it went. I don't want to focus too much on those ratings, but Elemental is a Pixar film. Those films typically perform pretty well. But money-wise or reception, I'm not sure. So we'll see what happens. But so my first question with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, I guess I should state I really enjoyed this film. <laughs> this film was really, really well made. And it's funny because it is a part one. So there is a there is a story arc that is not completed. And naturally so, there's a story arc that leads into another story arc at the end of this film, but this film did not have a complete kind of closure. It didn't have that complete emotional closure that I think maybe people really enjoy in a movie. So though this is, you know, highly anticipated or it's been highly anticipated, it's been very well received. I'm curious if anybody feels a little bit of that where they're like, ah, like I really wanted something to kind of just conclude the end, you know, maybe a Dune part one feeling where you're just like, oh, we got to wait for another movie that's going to come out in potentially, you know, five years. Luckily for us, the the third film, Beyond the Spider-Verse, comes out March 29th, 2024. So, but yes, my first question is, is this the best animation ever? <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm not too keen to animated films, so 
and but what I mean by keen is I just don't go out of my way to watch them. I enjoy them. Uh, speaking of Spirited Away, I literally saw that last week for the first time in my life, and it was it was incredible. Uh, it made you think more than you possibly could because I like when stories intertwine life and intertwine problems that we deal with in life, problems that we dismiss in life, problems that we look at and we say, nah, do I really have a problem? And then you convince yourself that there's nothing worth changing. I like those stories because I think those ones open our eyes and they typically tend to come in an animated film. So that's one thing to, that I kind of keep a, a hold of is when I watch an animated movie, it's either, it's either got to be so fun that I'm having the greatest time, or it has to have a story that speaks to an adult, maybe nostal- you know, an adult emotion, whether that's a nostalgic emotion, whether that's maybe just punching me in a you know sentimental spot, whatever that is, I think it's, it has to make you think. So uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse absolutely does this. Uh, but it doesn't have a story arc that fully completes. So that would be my one curiosity. Is it the best animation ever for the movies that I have seen that are animated? Yes. I know I have a bunch of close friends who love anime and they love Attack on Titan. And they've talked about the animation in a bunch of different anime projects that have been incredible. There's also very maybe smooth and and like fluid animation in Disney and Pixar that are just extremely impressive. But this takes a, a comic book and it digitalizes it and and truly blurs in a certain way that just attracts the attention of the viewer that I really enjoy. I really enjoy this so much because that in itself is a story piece. It's not just, oh, here's the story and by the way, this is how it looks. The way it looks is part of the story and that is just as impactful as if the score also adds to a story. So... And that, that can be seen in so many films that, you know, Dune Part 1, the score, the music in that story truly was a character in the story. So if you could take these other elements in film and make them almost equal or equal or even more than the elements that people focus on most, such as acting or directing or the way the film looks, you know, so the cinematography, that that speaks volumes. So first and foremost, I, I think this is the best animation ever. So... It has an incredible voice cast, and I do want to list them. I, And I'm going to rank them. Yeah, like I said, I'm going to rank them from who I was most impressed with because I don't typically focus on voice cast. Like, if I hear them, I'm like, oh, cool, that's 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 so-and-so. Or, like, I recognize their voice, and it's kind of like a quick, like a quick, oh, awesome. But then I don't think much on it. Whereas this film, I genuinely thought about the voice cast, starting with Jason Schwartzman, who plays or who voices The Spot, which you know, is the antagonist. It's the main villain in this film. Uh, Jason Schwartzman is known for Saving Mr. Banks, Moonrise Kingdom, The French Dispatch, and he'll be seen in Asteroid City. So a lot of Wes Anderson projects. He was so quirky. He was so just, is is relatable too broad. It just, you felt like you knew him. You felt like this was your neighbor. You felt like this was, you know, just the guy that you knew and you felt comfortable talking to. So Jason Schwartzman was phenomenal. I had put Oscar Isaac here who plays Miguel O'Hara, who's kind of the the leading Spider-Man figure in this movie. And he's known for, you know, Ex Machina, Dune. He plays Paul Atreides' father, Moon Knight, uh, lead character. And then in the Star Wars sequels, uh, he's prominent as well. Oscar Isaac, to me, there are so many points throughout his career. It's kind of like a roller coaster but I think that Oscar Isaac has the potential to be top tier, to be an A-list, number one guy, lead a film, lead a show. 
but I, I, I don't know if I see that as often. I, I haven't seen the card counter, which is um, a Paul Schrader film, and I'm, I'm starting to get invested into Paul Schrader. I'm getting invested into a lot of writers and directors named Paul. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, I'm delving into his work, would highly recommend it, by the way, and then Paul Schrader. But yeah, Oscar Isaac, I like him a lot, and I just, I want to see him do, I don't even know what I want to see from him, because he does incredible work. I mean, he's he did incredible with his voice work here. He was incredible in Ex Machina as a younger actor. He's incredible in Dune as a father figure, and then he was incredible in Moon Knight as the lead character of a Marvel, uh, Marvel series, and then even in Star Wars and these other projects that he does find himself in, in maybe smaller roles, he's still impressive. So... Oscar Isaac, number two. I'd like to keep an eye on him in his career because I just feel like he has so much left in the tank. So number three, I think this is maybe the character favorite of Spider-Man, but I put Daniel Kaluuya, who voices Hobie Brown, who is probably like the the quote-unquote, you know, woke slash just relatable, you know, very, very likable character. He's so likable. And Daniel Kaluuya is known for the lead character in Get Out, Nope, uh, he plays in Black Panther. He's also in Judas and the Black Messiah. And our, once again, we talk about great, great actors who are top tier, who just have the true potential to be A-list and and stay there. I think Daniel Kaluuya has that, he has that skill set. He's definitely Jordan Peele's number one guy. So I, I like Daniel Kaluuya a lot, and Hobie was a phenomenal character. I just like, he his character is exactly what I was talking about when it comes to implanting some relatable story figures, some relatable characters, some 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 things that adults can look at and say, oh, this is like a really good message, or this person is somebody that I've known before. You feel very connected. So Daniel Coolio is phenomenal. That was the first voice role I've ever seen him in. So that's that's something I don't know. I'm I would like to see him in more. So I put I'm gonna switch these around because I originally had Haley Steinfeld, who plays um, Gwen, uh, also Ghost Spider, I believe her name is. But I'm going to switch her with Karan Sony, who plays Paviter. And I don't know if I said that right. I don't know if it was more his voice or the character, but I just liked this character. I liked the voice. It was really comedically written. I mean, the the humor was so funny. And Karan Sony is, is best known for Deadpool. He's in both Deadpools. He'll be in the third one. And he plays the like his driver. He also voiced in in Strange Worlds, and then he's in the film, the Netflix film, Not Okay. But I just thought he was fun, quirky, very <laughs> confidently like dorky, and I like that. I thought it was really fun. So yes, I'm gonna go next to Haley Steinfeld, who plays Gwen, and she's best known for Bumblebee, The Edge of Seventeen. She was in the Hawkeye series, Pitch Perfect Three. She's definitely up and coming. Uh, she's a younger actress. Great voice work. I, Gwen might have been my favorite character, just period, in this film. Her art style was my favorite. It was kind of this watercolor, mood ring type visual effect that I truly just, I was so immersed in because you felt these same emotions that Gwen was feeling or that character. And then the music at that time, which phenomenal soundtrack, added such an element to this piece of the film, which... She, she was the intro, so Gwen's character was, was kind of the main figure in the introduction. And then she's a prominent figure now moving forward, not just, you know, a, a curious character. So I liked her a lot. 
And then the last two, or I guess I should say the last couple, Brian Tyree Henry, who played Jeff, who was the dad, who was a Miles, he was his dad. He's a great actor and one that I haven't seen too many projects of, but he's in Bullet Train, he's in Causeway, he's in Widows. Really funny, but equally dramatic. And I mean dramatic in a good way. He has a he has a super unique depth to his acting ability. And I saw that in Causeway, and then he was so incredibly funny in Bullet Train. And I'm saying incredible a lot because I get I get these in, in heightened or enlightened emotions when I see a good performance or hear a good performance. So Brian Tyree Henry. And then, of course, I put Jake Johnson, who plays Peter B. Parker. Uh, he's best known from New Girl. I only put New Girl because I feel like everybody knows him from New Girl, even if you haven't even seen the show. Um, and then eight, I put Shameik Moore as Miles. And that's saying something because... He does a, a great job. I think I just enjoyed maybe the fresh voices uh, a little bit more. So, yeah, I'm curious to know, was the voice work prominent? Was it not prominent? Was that something that you're just like, why did he spend so much time talking about the voice actors? Because that is a curiosity to me. But they used the term, or I should say, just the the subject of canon as the focal point for this story, which was oddly brilliant and i say oddly because i feel like using canon as a topic is something most people would think about and then they just always turn away like yeah that's that's cheap you know but this did not feel cheap in the slightest it felt genuine it felt like it had a lot of integrity behind the meaning of canon and what miguel o'hara's character which is played by or voiced by oscar isaac he's trying to do the whole time which is saying hey we have a bigger purpose here in the canon, quote unquote, the, the comic book canon, which, by the way, for anybody who doesn't know canon, it just means essentially what keeps what what keeps a franchise valid, what keeps it moving in the right direction. Um, so in this case, it makes sense. You know, a, a family member of Peter passing away, which, you know, typically tends to be Uncle Ben. And then the captain of the police force is also mentioned as canon. So having those options there and then messing with that, changing the perspective, and then countering that with, you know, your love and care for somebody. If you know somebody's going to pass away as Spider-Man, you would think that you would stop it. So I like that 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 contradicting argument throughout this entire film. It kind of disguised the villain because uh, Spot was the villain. And dare I say, one of the best we've seen in a while. <laughs> he starts out super goofy and then he slowly, he just has, he has an overwhelming passion to be this great villain for Spider-Man. Spider-Man calls him the villain of the week. And it just is a huge offense to this character. But he he becomes more powerful because he has this overarching goal of I'm going to be the best villain for Spider-Man. You know, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, he was also made this way because the the collider went wrong. There was, there was a situation in the first film where... This is an actual human being turned into kind of this this just blank human being with spots. And these spots open up to different portals, different kind of, you could even open up to a different dimension. And that's what's kind of scary is he becomes all-encompassing with power. And he's doing that while being kind of geeky. So that's what makes it fun. So I liked him a lot. Um, does it get confusing, the whole canon going into so many different universes? Yeah, a little bit. But at the same time... It, it does it just enough. It, it confuses you enough to make you curious about, I need to kind of look this up because I like this movie so much. I need to see what this is. So I think that was a, a healthy amount of uh, 
confusion. So I do want to talk about Miguel, Miguel O'Hara. Sorry, I couldn't even pronounce the name right. <laughs> Miguel O'Hara. I do want to talk about him because Miguel O'Hara, by the way, once again, play, voiced by Oscar Isaac. Is he going to be the villain of the next film? Is he going to be, you know, written to be seeming like the villain and then turns out to be good? Like how, Miguel O'Hara, there's something off. There's something that I don't know and I don't know if that's overly on purpose, if that's not as much on purpose. It's a very intriguing character because Miguel O'Hara is kind of not human. I mean, he has like this Dracula slash werewolf you know, creature in him. And he showed that in a glimpse toward the beginning. So there's that, there's that segment. And then toward the end of the film, Miles, um, Miles looks down and he says, are you even Spider-Man? And he, that's, it was such a prominent message in that sequence because Miguel O'Hara responds and he says, are, are you? And that's the point of the story is, was Miles, you know, supposed to be the character to inherit these Spider-Man traits and that's what that's the argument that Miguel is making. But, you know, the fact that there was such a focus on that sequence makes me think there's more to discover regarding him and his history of becoming Spider-Man. Was he the first variant? Was he the first, or I shouldn't say variant, the first anomaly? That's what they say in this film. They call Miles an anomaly because he wasn't supposed to be bitten by the spider. So is Miguel possibly the first one? And he doesn't. I don't know, maybe he's hiding something like that. So that will be that will be an interesting conversation with the next film. And I hope, can I just say this? I hope that this stays a trilogy. I hope this stays three films. I The Dark Knight is as good as it is because it has three films. The Lord of the Rings is as good as it is because it has three films. I just I like when when films take the safer route. Um, my previous co-host Roger would always say this. I'd rather a show um, stop too early rather than extend too long or a movie you know, be longer so you can include more detail than shorter to appease audiences. I think there's definitely an argument there. And I I just hope that this stays a trilogy because I think it definitely has the potential to go down as one of the greatest trilogies ever made. And I know that's that's hardy. That's a that's a bold statement, but with how well made the first one was, sequels tend to be exceptionally hard, but the sequel might have overpowered I don't know. We'll see. It might have overpowered the first one. I'd have to watch it a couple more times. I watched it twice. And and I just think this is a setup. This isn't this isn't a an over completed, you know, it doesn't finish the arc of a story, but it sets it up for a third film. So the fact that you already have that kind of confidence that you're gonna see more to the story you just watched, that'll be good. So what is the best animated trilogy ever? You know, I think people would say probably How to Train Your Dragon, Toy Story, Shrek, Despicable Me. I mean, Toy Story has, uh, I think they're making a fifth film now, so I don't know if you can even consider that. You know, if you take the first three, yes, but I don't know if you can consider that a trilogy anymore. So, yeah, so that's my review on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I just, I don't know if it over-exceeded expectations. I think it met them, but my expectations were... I shouldn't say my expectations, but my hopes were super high. I, I always try to go into a film expecting nothing but neutral, you know, just like, hey, how am I going to feel at the end of this? And then that will tell me how how this movie was. But I just had so much hope for this film. It delayed itself nine months. 
not necessarily due to extending the story. I think that was more of a financial decision, but at the same time, that did provide the creators more time to, you know, they did last minute uh, in-person shoots. So there, there, there is some live action throughout this film. So that happened throughout that, that period of time. There's just so much that can happen when you take the quality of time and it, it showed. So a phenomenal one-two punch. I'm excited for the third film. I would say that I rated this five out of five on Letterboxd. I rated the first one five out of five on Letterboxd. It's, I'd like to know what you guys think. And if you do have qualms, I'm open to hear them. I'm, I, will, I will not close that off. I do want to hear them. Like I said, I think the non-conclusive story arc is one thing that does jump out to me a little bit. But apart from that, I, I really enjoyed it. So, all right. So the next next part that I'm going to dive into, I'm, I, I want to rank Spider-Man movies, okay? And not, not you know, Civil War or even Infinity War or Endgame. I, I want to rank Spider-Man movies that were individual Spider-Man films. So... Uh, there are 10 films, at least 10 that I have on this list. If there are more, I apologize. But these are the 10 that were prominent. And they go as old as the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans. So if there was, you know, maybe some animated or live action film that I'm not aware of from the 90s or 80s or 70s, then I apologize. But number 10 on my list, I'm going to go 10 to 1. So number 10, ooh, I'm going to have to get a drink of water before I delve into this. Spill some hot takes. Just kidding. I don't know if I actually have any hot takes, but number 10 on my list, I this might be conclusive to most people, but I put The Amazing Spider-Man 2. <sighs> There's so much in this movie that I liked and so much I did not like. First of all, I, I, I don't know if I even need to say spoiler warning, but spoiler warning for The Amazing Spider-Man 2. The fact that they killed Gwen is a critical piece to a story, and I like that they included it. But all of the surrounding events did not match that same detail, that same context, that same depth that you need in a story. And it felt a little contradicting to itself. It had a very, I don't know, it had a very interesting villain in, you you had the Goblin, but you also had Electro, I don't, I think his name's Electro, played by Jamie Foxx in a very weird performance. It just didn't feel cohesive. It didn't feel connected but there were elements that I liked. And I dare I say Andrew Garfield might be a better Spider-Man than we realize. And he definitely made his case in the the newer version, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home. This is just, I don't know. I'd like to see a third one though. I'd, I'd, I'd be racing to the theaters to see it. So being number 10 on my list, it might seem like a bad connotation because it is last, but I, it's not a terrible film. But yeah, out of the Spider-Mans, I, I think I gotta put it there. So maybe this is where my hot takes start because number nine on my list, I put Spider-Man 3. Tobey Maguire, come on, this is where Bully Maguire was introduced. How can I not give it the credit it deserves? This is, though, I gotta revisit this. It's been a long time. But from what I'm remembering, though there's a lot of just really pointless moments throughout this film, and very weird, and just interesting character decisions, interesting, I don't know, flows to the story, it's also a lot of fun. I mean, the story includes multiple villains. You have villain, the or I mean, you have Venom, the Sandman, um, and then who's the third? Oh, then you have the Hobgoblin. Uh, so Harry Osborn. So you have three villains. That makes it a lot of fun. So there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of action, a lot of, um, a lot of things to keep you entertained. But to that degree, I think that's it. I don't know if you feel much after this. I don't know if you 
you feel those those hefty moments that they're wanting you to feel because they do include them. I just don't know if the the emotional punch is really there. So, number eight on my my list, I put Spider Man Far From Home. Once again, maybe a hot take. I don't know that it, you know maybe people really enjoy this film. This is the second Tom Holland film. This is the one with Jake Gyllenhaal who plays or Maestro played by Jake Gyllenhaal, and. Yeah, I don't know. This one just didn't sit well with me. I didn't like the fact that they went overseas. It just didn't feel connected to the the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, you know, which is kind of his vibe. So Spider-Man in New York, or at least in or around a city, or if he's going to be in outer space or in a different place, be around other superheroes, which I think they tried to do with, uh, with Nick Fury, but just, I don't know. It didn't really match. So great cliffhanger I, I will give them that i felt like the cliffhanger was one of the most substantial that we've had in marvel since probably yeah infinity war i think infinity war has a a great um a great cliffhanger but this one as well so spider-man far from home it just i don't know had a different feeling to it homecoming was charming but this one just didn't i don't know so number seven on my list i put the amazing spider-man the first andrew garfield uh spider-man film this one was fun, and and Andrew Garfield, though he's a little maybe too cool to be, you know, Spider-Man. Miles Morales is really cool, but he doesn't have a lot of friends. You know, he's a really cool guy, but they show you he's really kind of to himself. And I feel like Peter Parker is similar in that fashion. He's very much to himself. Uh, he's quirky. He's smart. He's intelligent. He's still a good-looking young, you know, individual. But I just I think the the coolness was a little too much. But I liked how how confident he was as Spider-Man, as the character of Spider-Man, because we need that wit. We need that lively, I don't know, that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, that very just fun, childish emotion coming from that character, because that's kind of who he is. So a lot of fun in this movie. I like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I, Once again, I'd like to see him in another one. So number six on my list, I put Spider-Man 1 with Tobey Maguire. I mean, if, if we're going to just take anything from this film, the fact that Willem Dafoe plays a great villain, and we see that again because he comes back as that great villain in an even better fashion almost, what, 20 years later or so. So yeah, Spider-Man, I felt like this just, the quality of the film is by no means great. I, I don't know if great's the, the word to use. Was it ahead of its time? I think a little bit. You know, there weren't any other Marvel films necessarily credible that came before this. So I think Spider-Man set the tone. Sam Raimi set the tone to really open up a world that's that that craves you know superhero films that craves a, a fun story and something worth investing in that you know is not real but you still feel like it could be. So great film. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, number five, I put Spider-Man: Homecoming. Look, after two Spider-Mans, two live-action Spider-Mans, you're going to introduce a third one. And so everything has to be done right. And I felt like they did everything right for this character. So much fun that they kind of bypassed the standard story and they kind of reinvigorated it. They repositioned it. You still get the depth and heartache of the struggles of Peter Parker, but you get that later in the franchise. You don't get that all up front. And it, it just makes it a little less daunting to dive into. It's kind of like watching Batman. You know, do you want to see, I don't know, the intro to his his parents dying every single time you watch a Batman film? I would personally say no. So I think they did the same thing or a similar fashion with Spider-Man Homecoming is they kept it super refreshing. And you have a character played by Tom Holland 
nearly perfect for that character. He is a great Spider-Man. He's he he feels you know he seems super young and super witty, and the personality matches you know the connections in his life matches the way the character is written. There's still a lot of good things and good pieces and intimate details to this film. So, all right, number four on my list. Oh, I wanted to put this higher to be completely honest because it's so good. But Spider-Man Two. So Spider-Man Two once again, Tobey Maguire. Uh, the the villain in this film is Doc Ock, and I just see I think we see a lot of critical moments here. We see a lot of critical moments with kind of a father son relationship a little bit, or like an uncle nephew relationship with Doc Ock and and Peter Parker, and then we see a relatable relationship situation with you know MJ and timing and priorities, and then at the same time you get a really enticing story that has a lot of you know, maybe thrilling moments that you're just like, oh, is this going to be, is this going to be how it is? And then you're like, oh, okay, okay. So really on the edge for, you know, a 2004 film, I believe it was. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that movie a lot. So Spider-Man 2. All right, top three, top three. So Spider-Man No Way Home is number three on my list. Now you have to decide which what's number one and what's number two. But number three, Spider-Man No Way Home a question was asked to me the other day, which I'm sure many people have thought about themselves, but what? how would Spider-Man No Way Home be if you created a story without the nostalgia? Without the two, you know, without bringing in Tobey Maguire, without bringing in Andrew Garfield. First of all, that's that's phase one. How would it be if you brought back just the original villains? Would it still be as enjoyable? Would it be nearly as enjoyable? Let's say you remove all that. So you remove bringing back Willem Dafoe, or bringing back Doc Ock. So, by the way, Green Goblin, Doc Ock, <clears throat> Electro, Sandman, um, and the Lizard. Like, what if you didn't bring any of those back and you introduce another new villain like they did in the second film, in the first film, that have never been shown on screen before? That's what I'm curious about. But that's a conversation for a different day. That's not how they made the film. So the film that they made was really enjoyable and one of the best of the of that year. It might have been the best of 2021 I just, this is such a fun movie, and I think it's extremely rewatchable. I think many people would love to rewatch this. I think there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of, there's a lot of that heaviness you don't typically feel or feel in Homecoming or Far From Home. You do feel that in this film, and I just think there's a good contrast. There's a good contrast of buildup to who Peter Parker is as an individual and who he gets to be at the end of the film. There's a lot of buildup in the in the intensity of the story. Slowly builds, builds, builds. A lot of negativity, a lot of a lot of antsiness, a lot of anxiety, and then it shows you exactly these these critical pieces that are meant to fit this mold. And they did so in such I don't know organic fashion. Like bringing back Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield on paper seems forced, but bringing them back in this film and the way it played out was far from it. So. Spider-Man No Way Home is number two on my list. Number two, or sorry, number three on my list. Number two on my list is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I won't delve into it further necessarily because we just did a review on it. It's quite possible this might be number one. I just, I I would have to revisit Into the Spider-Verse simply due to the fact that it was that good that I can't, I can't necessarily pass up on it because of how much it set the tone for this film and 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 how incredible it truly was and groundbreaking with the animation style then, which I believe 
don't quote me on this, but I believe the first film had around 150 animators, which is already a ton. And then this film had uh, arguably the, the greatest sized film crew of all time with over a thousand animators. So you take you take this story that's already hard enough to bring to life because people are like, oh, now a fourth Spider-Man and it's a cartoon. How? Okay. By the way, we're ne- we're kind of intermingling one and two because number one is Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So just kind of revolutionary for for animation, you know, for storytelling, for the character of Spider-Man in this franchise, and in the type of relationships you can feel and the emotions you can feel from yet again another comic book character. I really enjoyed those movies, and I'm I'm thir- I'm just I'm looking for- forward to the third film. I think there's a lot to take from this, and Spider-Man's a fun character. Is he the greatest? superhero character ever nah I, I don't think so i think he might be top five you know is he the greatest marvel character ever i think that's possible i know I, I know robert downey jr has truly lit a fire for iron man fans i know there's definitely an argument for captain america but i think for i don't know i think for the legacy and once again you know starting with toby Maguire, the foundation that was set by a, a comic book character to make these these reaction or to provide these type of films to obtain a certain reaction that superhero films have done they become some of the most successful films ever made i think spider-man is the driving force behind that so having relatable characters with superpowers can coexist they've been coexisting it's been happening and i'm excited to see what's next so last uh last thoughts regarding spider-man is the future what's next you know we have beyond this we have Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse coming out March 29th, 2024. But then what's happening with Tom Holland? You know, I, I, I would have to look up the specifics, but, you know, I believe he signed a three-movie deal. Does that movie deal include maybe passing the baton off to a live-action Miles Morales? Does that include, you know, Spider-Man across or Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse? Since it's saying Beyond the Spider-Verse, does that mean we're going to see a half animated, a half live action film. I don't know. I, I think there's a lot to discuss here. They did mention uh, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, and Doctor Strange for that matter in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So we know the worlds are connected. We know there's a great possibility that they're going to be interconnected for the future. I think there's more to see from Andrew Garfield. There's potentially more to see from Tobey Maguire. And who knows? Maybe we'll see a... Uh, um, Oh, who played Mary Jane in the, the Tobey Maguire films? I, why am I not thinking of her name right now? Hold on. This is going to kill me. I'm like, I have to. Kirsten Dunst. That's right. Maybe we'll see Kirsten Dunst come back. And while, while we're at it, you know, bring on her husband because he's incredibly talented as well. So Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I recommend going to see it. I recommend going to see it in theaters on a big screen where you can truly be immersed in the animation and the visuals, which within two minutes of watching that film... I think your mouth will be open. It will be left open because of how impressed you are. But yes, watch it. Let me know. Um, Thank you again for joining. Truly. Follow me on social media, Film Update Time. Uh, Follow the After Credits. Share the After Credits podcast with anybody who loves movies. And if you love movies, reach out to me. I'd love to have more guests on to talk about their journey and making movies, being a part of them, talking about them, even just liking them and watching them from time to time. Nothing wrong with that. So until next time. Have a good one. Peace.